Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. total lack of respect for the law. (laughs) You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law. You're listening um, to Saroosh, Rosie and Meg. Uh, Rosie and Meg are new to our show and this is the first time in over a year that I've been back in the studio. Welcome to the show, Rosie and Meg. Thanks, Saroosh. Thanks for having us. Um, I thought it'd be a good start to have you both introduce yourselves and tell us about what what interests you in community radio um, before we get into our, our show for the day. Um, yeah, so um, my name is Meg and I work at the Law and Advocacy Centre for Women, um, which is a non-for-profit uh, community legal centre that mainly assists women, uh, trans women and gender diverse people with mainly criminal law issues. Um, and I think that 3CR is just such a fantastic platform um, for particularly marginalised voices to be um, getting together and talk about issues of the day, but also for the broader community to really engage with those issues. Um, and it's great to be here. It's wonderful. It's such a wonderful space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so great to be here. We're here in the COVID normal in person and it's just thrilling. Um, so yeah, my name's Rosie. I am a community lawyer at Fitzroy Legal Service. Um, I am interested in 3CR because of its community element. I think being a community lawyer and working in Fitzroy just on Smith Street actually in the same area that 3CR studios are, that it is about creating community and listening to the voices that are marginalised, as Meg said, but also creating cohesion together um, in a variety of ways, which includes broadcasting. Yeah, great. Um, Before we get into our show, I thought it important um, to do an acknowledgement of country. Um, so I'd like to acknowledge that we uh, meet on Kulin Nation's country and on stolen country. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, uh, present and emerging and um, reiterate that, you know, it's our view, uh, the three of us, uh, you know, I strongly believe, acknowledge that sovereignty hasn't been ceded and that we're committed to working to um, the pluriversality of nations that fights for you know a more emancipated Australia that stands alongside its First Nations brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, and so I guess on that note, uh, what we've been talking about when we came into starting the shows for the year was the question of resistance. Um, and I think we've all come at it from different angles, but it was a common theme that the three of us um, and Bonnie as well, who's not here today, uh, were talking about. Uh, from my perspective, having worked in the sector for over 10 years, but also having been a lawyer for 16, 17 years now, 
there's a sense that we are, and remembering law school, it's a sense that, that it's quite a conservative profession. And it's strangely enough, perhaps, um, you know, looking at the history of legal activism, to me, it doesn't seem like it's at the forefront of activism. So I'm interested in what is it that makes lawyers um, kind of conservative, I, I guess, and what are the things that could make us more more activist in, in our values and belief systems? So the thing that particularly interests me, I was mentioning to our team, was why is it that the good fame of character tests that lawyers have to submit to before they become um, admitted as a lawyer, you know, why why can't you have committed an offence, particularly if it's, it's a, a kind of a political offence? That to me it stands to reason that that person would make a fantastic practitioner. Um, yeah, so that's my my kind of in on this subject. What what about you, Meg? I think I agree with you, Suresh, that it seems um, it's also been my experience that um, the legal profession is quite conservative in lots of ways, and definitely the way that we're trained, I think, can be quite conservative and. It, I think it's really interesting to reflect on that because, to me, it seems like there's such a tension between um, that conservatism, if I could put it that way, and also the fact that we are often a big part of our job is resisting, um, sometimes bearing witness to and resisting or assisting other people to resist or just being with them alongside their journey of resistance when people are um, coming into contact with state forces um, that are impacting individuals, families, communities. So that, mm. that's a huge part of our work, whether that's, you know, the Department of Health and Human Services in a child protection matter or the police mm. in a criminal matter. It's resistance is a fundamental part of our work, yet it's not something that we're trained to do or that necessarily comes naturally to us. Mm. And I think in that respect, I'm interested in in how, how we can respectfully learn from the communities that we're learning mm. with, who I think often have been forced to, to learn to resist um, and are much, are much um, more um, experienced in that um, act of resistance than we are necessarily. I don't know if we disagree, but one of the questions I have is p- parts of the resistance you're speaking about is resistance within the structures and within mm. the systems. And t- to my mind, a lot of the really powerful activism requires some kind of um, breaking of civil laws kind of thing of or course. some kind of civil resistance. Yeah, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if I wonder if they are different things um, or perhaps they're not and, and everyone, whether you're inside the tent resisting and outside the tent, you're playing a role. What's, what's your in, um, you know, what brought you into this subject and what's been kind of occupying your mind, Rosie? Mm, absolutely. I think it's a really interesting duality that we bring that, there is an in and outside the system and I think that as lawyers that we do work within a system that is quote-unquote a justice system um, if you do work in criminal law for example that it can be really difficult and I think especially if we're on the topic today on that Meg has brought forward about Aboriginal resistance especially as um, a the real bedrock of resistance in this country. Like, how can we learn from them who work and have to live and survive within a system of colonisation? How can we as lawyers work to benefit our clients within a system that is very harmful at its core? And I think that's a real key question as lawyers to bring forward. I think it's also about resisting bad law and recognising that there is a space for law reform or 
other forms that's not necessarily... I think activism can be a form of law reform and there needs to be some integration there between lawyers and activists on how mm. to best mould or recreate a system mm. to benefit um, most people, especially the most marginalised in our society. So I think there is a lot more scope for integration and collaboration and I think if we do go in there with that intention, especially for this series, that we can hopefully build deeper and come out with maybe not answers but some more questions mm-hmm. on how we can do that. One of the things that really um, gets me is, I don't really know what to make of it, but this idea of being the advocate. So um, I, there's almost, and it's probably a big word to use, but there's almost a violence that takes place in that process mm. where the client can't tell their own story and somehow mm. we're better equipped to tell the client's story. And I, I don't know exactly why that is or what's happening. It's very clear that the client knows their story best, but somehow we are transmogrifying it, if that's a word probably is, um, into something else. And that's more palatable or acceptable by decision makers. And I think that process of how we interpret our client's story, it's probably an easier word, um, is fundamental to whether or not we're aligned with the system or whether we're aligned with our client or not? Mm. I think there is a difficulty there when the best outcomes for our client systemically can be, can really challenge that process though. I think I'm talking from, I work in peripherally in um, law with criminal offences involving drugs and having to frame certain things like, oh, X, X has, yes, possessed X drug but is now engaging in such and such programs, which feels incredibly patronising mm, to mm. the client and also to the society we live in, but it's what the what the court will view favourably. Mm. And there's that, yeah, that's a real hard... I think as well, like, I agree. I don't disagree with what you're saying, Suresh, but I also think, you know, and maybe this is just the way that I choose to live with the work that I do, but I I sometimes think about it just as being a shield. Like, perhaps yeah. the only thing that I can do today is to be a human who hopefully treats my client with dignity and respect mm. and acts as a shield between some of the viol- the inevitable violence mm-hmm. that the system is kind of enforcing on that person mm. and the people in their life. Um, I'm not sure whether I'm always a very effective shield. but mm. It's <laughs> such a powerful I'm, metaphor. Yes, mm. and it, I don't know, it gives me great comfort to at least uh, to strive to be the shield. And I think to do the work we do, you have to exist in some hope. So that metaphor yeah. is powerful and to live by, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got an amazing guest and um, I wonder, Rosie, if you can introduce who our guest is. Absolutely. So we are very grateful and we are super lucky to have Leah House, who is a Ngambri woman who has lived on her ancestral country her whole life. She is joining us from up there, which is around Canberra, ACT, and... I know her personally because I used to work with her at Women's Legal Centre, ACT. She is an amazing case manager for the Mullianmura Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Women's Access to Justice program up there. A key reason also why we wanted to have this discussion today was in light of the Invasion Day protests and that we want to continue the yarn going forward. We don't want to 
that it to have this day and for it to fall apart. Now, Leah, you have such a connection to country and also a connection to activism, um, not just within your country but for the whole of this land with your grandmother, Matilda House, but also yourself. Would you be able to explain a little bit about your activism and your grandmother's activism and what it means to you? Um, yeah, um, so I guess I was definitely born into this, um, having a grandmother like Matilda House. Um, so it definitely wasn't optional, but... Um, and um, would you be able to explain to people that might not know Matilda's work what Matilda has done? Yeah, well, we better put some respect on it to begin with. It's Dr Matilda House. Apologies, Leah. Um, <laughs> she corrects everybody. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, she, she earned that doctor. Um, yeah, so Nen, um, I guess she has... I guess this, it would be very difficult to find anything within the Canberra region... But, um, like, the work she's done across the country is insane. But across the Canberra community and New South Wales, um, there's not many um, things you can find that are um, related to First Nations people that she hasn't been a part of. Um, she has just been, like, this... She's just, she's just guided so many of us and generations of us um, to be what we are today and strengthened us to be who we are and how we show up today. Yeah, fantastic. And she involved in the tent embassy, and are you involved in the tent embassy? Um, yes, actually, Nen was one of the original protesters back in 1972, um, along with some very brave men and women that showed up and stood there in resistance against the um, government. Um, and yeah, that's definitely trickled down through the generations. And now here I am um, on the steps of the tent embassy. Um, carrying the same fight that she um, started almost 50 years ago. Um, and my sons, her great-grandchildren, are there alongside me as well. Um, and I guess that's a bit emotional because it's generational, but it's the same fight. 100%. Leah, what does the embassy mean for you? Um, I guess for me it's, um, it's a symbol of resistance. It's a symbol that stands against the colony. I think... Um, for me, it stands in defiance of this con- this British construct that we know as Australia. Um, it's stood there for almost 50 years and it's had some incredibly brave men and women stand there and keep it going. And to me, it looks, to me it's a generational um, thing and I just think there's so much power and strength in something mm. like that that has stood there for so many years. It seems like um, when when all of that activism was taking place as well, one of the things that takes place for settlers, I think, is that when when people feel like we've kind like I think around the process of reconciliation and stuff like that, there's this idea that we'll get to an end point and we're done. And I think mm-hmm. um, about the referendum that took place, and then you know Gough Whitlam kind of gets elected, and there's this idea that probably that Australia is really progressive. But how far are we from that reality? You know what I mean? So a lot of people probably think, oh, you know, back in the 70s thinks that, are thinking that they've kind of reached some, you know, good moment. 
but mm-hmm. it's the work is just beginning. And so there's this real tricky conversation, I think, that takes place between Aboriginal people and settlers where um, quite often my experience is, you know, we're, as settlers we're dragged into constantly reconciling with what our responsibilities are, you know, what is the impact of colonisation. And we, we're just constantly, like, in free fall of realising how far behind we are. I don't know if that's resonant yeah. for you. Yeah, no, the settler state, it needs to consent and take ownership of its mm. historical but current wrongdoings mm. and abuse of power. Um, like like any violent perpetrator, um, mm. if it wants to transform and move forward, um, it can't from a place of denialism. Mm. Yeah, and I think as well when that violence is being perpetrated by the state in just so many different ways, it's you know, it's relentless. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that as someone, you know, who, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to have that personal relationship to something, for instance, um, you know, a relationship to country that I've heard other people describe like that. I don't know, that violence. um, It's never like you have to be ever vigilant (laughs) watching Mm. um, for different acts of the state and how how that's impacting, um, you know, a lot of marginalised people, but I think Aboriginal communities in particular. Oh, yeah. Our, our justice system, it's, it's rarely just and it frequently perpetuates trauma. Um, we live in a country that holds like the, t- the title of like, the highest incarceration rate mm. for First Nations people in the world. Mm. Um, our systems, it labels people as good or bad, and, but they don't consider how regulated someone is or how integrated they are or mm. what kind of environment or systems they've lived in or they currently live in. Um, um, like we're human, we're not always rational. Um, we're responsive. We respond to our environment and our experiences with the resources we have. Mm-hmm. Um, when we behave in ways that are destructive to ourselves and others, it's often a survival response. Um, mm-hmm. We continue to attempt to cope the best that we can until we have support and resources that can allow us to shift. Um, the, um, yeah, we need to change the lens that we view justice and punishment um, this doesn't like absolve people of responsibility mm. but um, it'll help us to look at people's behaviors differently our prisons are housing traumatized and marginalized first nations men women and mm. children yeah. where they continue to be traumatized or die while in custody and when they are released they're even less equipped to reintegrate back into their communities um, or to their families um, they're less likely to experience safety and stability and to access resources necessary to avoid reoffending and contact with the justice system and to even begin healing. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's... no, Yeah, that's thank amazing. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing that, Leah. It's amazing to speak to you. Yeah, thank you, Leah. I think leading on from that, when we talk about this justice system in quotes, you work within a justice system at at Women's Legal Centre. You work with women and children that have been impacted by this system. What is is the significance of a job like the one you do? Would you be able to explain what it entails and um, the special role of a case manager within this system? Yeah, um, I guess it's... um, uh well, in ACT, it's a unique approach. I think we're the only um, um, service that delivers anything like it here in the ACT. Um, but it's, so it's Aboriginal woman-led. Um, and the importance of it is that, like, our space, our program, 
in a space for Aboriginal and Torres Strait, Torres Strait Islander women to come and speak their truth and share their stories. And that's despite of really overwhelming odds, like of them not being believed and then being judged or facing threats of physical violence. Um, yeah, our, our approach um, is, I guess, through frontline legal and support services and our early intervention and our advocacy that tries to ensure Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are heard at the highest level um, and will hopefully change the devastating and dark reality of family violence that takes our women's lives and destroys our families and devastates our communities. Um, what we do definitely makes a difference. Um, our women can always count on us and we are here because of the courage and strength and resilience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women before me, like the incredible women that came before me and carried this program and helped it become what it is today. Um, I guess as a case manager, um, I guess the biggest thing for me is just to continuously respect um, the women that come through our, our doors and respect their capacity to strengthen themselves and their families. Mm. Leah, can I ask, I mean, part of the series, this series that we're looking at exploring is the question of resistance and we're all in the legal profession. So we've been talking about what lawyers can do better and I'm sure you're managing a lot of lawyers who might have some, um, you know, think they know a bit but actually have so much more to learn. What are, what are some things that, from your perspective that we can do better as community lawyers? Um, I guess putting First Nations people's voices first, like prioritising First Nations people, because um, I think that's a, a really tough thing a lot of um, non-Indigenous people struggle with is we're not looking to be saved. We don't need white saviors. We we are our own heroes. We um, we are the most resilient culture I think in the world. We stood mm. here in resistance to the colony, um, and with with all the odds that's against us. So I think um, understanding that we're not looking to be saved or for handouts or anything like that, and just that kind of stigma that comes around a lot of Indigenous people's um, issues. I was wondering as well, Leah, like I'm I'm very interested in um, hearing if, if it's okay a little bit of your reflection because it seems to me that your job would be an incredibly difficult one. Um, when Sarush and I worked together, um, we worked um, with a team of lawyers and non-legal staff um, and some of the people that we worked with, they were from this from quite remote community that we were working in and I think those people um, were having really different responses to the work because a lot of the time you know mm. what what is for me a job and obviously I can empathize with certain things and I can feel bad but it's not personal in the same way I would imagine as if I were working on my country working with people who might be you know my family my community and mm. um, I think that models that um, incorporate um, lived experience from community are incredibly important but I also think it's really important for us to have a conversation about how they can be culturally safe mm. do you um, do you have any reflections on that just from your experience of working in centres that are I would imagine um, predominantly staffed with you know white or non-aboriginal lawyers yeah 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 so I work at the women's legal centre which is a mainstream organisation yeah um, so I like to think our organisation um, has moved in 
the right direction. I think they've uh, um, done amazing work and they continue to do amazing work. Um, but I, I can't really fault too much the centre I work within. Um, I'm actually really proud of the centre I work within. I tell yeah. anyone that will listen where I work. Um, and Rosie can probably vouch for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, reflecting on um, it, though, yeah, it's difficult because um, although you don't want it to, and it's really not really in the work, but um, it can sometimes feel like a continuous fight to defend yeah. Yeah. the program and to defend its existence and to defend the way we move and the way we show up. Um, although that sometimes just your emotions kind of taken over and a lot of the times it's just a communication breakdown. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for talking with us, Leah. It has gone, time has gone so fast. I feel like we've just gotten started. I feel like we've yeah. just started. It's we so fun. We should have like a two or three hour yarn. Mm. That's right. Take yeah, over, over 3CR. Yeah. I've lost count how many times I've said, um, cut it here. <laughs> <laughs> you're, no, you're right. so eloquent and you have such great things to say and I really wish we could continue this yarn forward but we do have to cut it off unfortunately um please come back on the show so we can continue this conversation in the future please come back to canberra we miss you. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> i miss you too miss you all thank you so much thank you um, yeah, so no, actually thank you so much rosie um it's people like rosie like non-indigenous staff that have helped with the program and yeah have put it out there on the map and it is what it is because of it works hand in hand with non-indigenous people and the way we collaborate collaborate with community, it is what it is because of those relationships. Amazing. incredible people like Rosie. Thanks so much for your time, Leah. You've been listening to Meg, Rosie and Saroosh on Done By Law and our other member, Bonnie's not here, but we'll be back next month. Listen to us on Tuesdays at 6pm. Thanks for listening to us and thanks, Leah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.